This is Jane Hardwick-Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. So welcome to the podcast series. I am Ayla Myra, your podcast host and story guide. Welcome to episode 12. Big thank you for listening and calling in and this story I'm so delighted is the word that comes to share with Judy. I was blessed enough to spend two years with her journeying when I went through the school and I deeply Phil, Judy has so much to offer in terms of wisdom, experience and we're just so blessed to have Judy uh, come to us on an important time of her MAGA phase and this is where it's just awesome to hear a woman in her rawness of this. So uh, enjoy and lots of love. Okay, warmest welcome, Judy. Thank you so much for being on the Womancraft podcast. We've tried for a while to get together and here we are as you approach into your teaching of the Forest J, Forest Seasons Journey mm. in May. So we really wanted to just feel into your wisdom and welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Ayla. It's lovely to be doing this at last and to be chatting with you and yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing what unfolds through our conversation this morning. Me too. Mm. So I was fortunate, fortunate enough to have you with me when I did my eight seasons journey and I am feeling really deeply honoured and grateful that you are continuing this work because I just had such a deep connection with you and your mm. wisdom and I know that resonated with the group. So you just mm. held that beautiful space. So mm. I can say gratitude to you yeah thank you thank you yeah so you were one of the early ones mm-hmm. ffm too <laughs> so mm. that was when it was shamanic midwifery mm. uh, 2010 that's right track your mind back yes to that i can track my mind back so um gosh uh Way back then, the School of Shamanic Midwifery, the year, uh, the Four Seasons journey was being called SSM1 and SSM2. So I was in the second group through the Four Seasons journey, which then became Four Seasons journey 11, um, finished in 2011. Um, And this journey was held up in the north, um, 
our opening gathering was up near the border of Queensland and all the other gatherings were held in the Border Ranges National Park and a very beautiful, um, lovely forest location up there that really supported the work so well. And on my journey, actually, I wasn't present at the opening gathering of our 4SJ because that particular weekend was the weekend that my mother was dying. My mother passed away that weekend. Um, and I know that I felt the connection of the circle, even though I hadn't met any of the women. I knew Jane, but I didn't know any others, but I knew that something was really, something really deep and powerful was opening up um, within me, but also within that larger container of, this, of that particular group and also what then became the School of Shamanic Womancraft. So I didn't get to make my drum in that opening gathering um, with the other women in that circle, but I did at a later stage down on Jane's property in the Southern Highlands with one other woman. We birthed uh, our deer skin drums together down there. But sort of in, in so, isolation almost, it was a, um, there was a separateness to that, which actually sat very well with me. It felt really good to be doing it in that way. Mm. Mm. So just before I go back to the drum, because that sounds mm. really interesting, um, what was your calling? So you, I know you're a midwife now mm. and many other amazing things. Uh, can we just backtrack yeah, to Yeah, backtrack a little bit your further. Calling? into this work yeah what's going on well um I guess in terms of the school um I first met Jane I've known of um, Jane Hardwick Collins through my midwifery work um over many years really um and I was actually attending a really wonderful retreat for midwives that had been set up by student midwives at the time who were um I think the, it was up in the Blue Mountains at um, a bush sanctuary again and these students weren't really having their needs to become uh, the midwives they were wanting to be, midwives in private practice offering home birth. Um, they weren't being receiving an education that supported that through the mainstream um, tertiary hospitals and universities. And so some really dynamic student midwives drew together uh, the women and midwives they wanted to learn from. So it was a weekend retreat calling a gathering of of wise midwives and birth workers and women together to offer um, a retreat and an, an education experience to support them well in their on their path to be midwives in private practice and home birth midwives. So the call went out wider. I don't know how I heard about it up here on the mid-north coast, but somehow I did. And so I joined that um, for my own interest, you know, to go along to that retreat. It sounded amazing. I wanted to uh, learn as well from these other um, midwives. And so I went as a participant and that was the first time I met with Jane and we oh, shared some processes together and uh, did some ritual and realised that we um, spoke a similar language and, and a connection um, was formed there and she spoke to me about the four seasons journey that was starting up at that stage and um, I remember saying oh you know bring this up north I want this I want to teach this I want the for the women in my community to know this work and uh, that's sort of how that part of the journey started speaking with Jane and I, I, I remember from a conversation when I said I, you know I want this to come to my area let's bring this north and in her offhand way said, you teach it then. And so that was sort of before it all even started. And uh, As a seed. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it, that seed was well planted. Um, yeah. 
But I think my journey around this work with the divine feminine and the connection with the the earth and the earth cycles all began much earlier than that, way earlier. It was more like um, the Four Seasons journey was an intersect or an overlay of um, work and training and understanding that was pre-existing that through my earlier life and quests, mm. really. Mm. Yeah, so you mean like you're remembering, like you were already engaged with that yeah. Yeah. process. I mean, you, you told me before we started recording that your mum uh, called you Diana as your mm. um, middle name, mm. your name of the goddess. Was there a strong influence from your mother as well for this sort of work? Not particularly this sort of work. Um, yeah, so my mum named me Judy Diana and that um, although I don't particularly connect with the Greco-Roman goddess form of Diana as we know her in a post or in a patriarchal way, um, more with um, Artemis, the Artemis nature that is you know, another aspect of Diana, um, really does. So I feel that... Um, I resonate with the qualities of, you know, Artemis holds the energy of the uh, the wild maiden, the connected with the with nature. Um, she runs with the, you know, her band of nymphs, the sisterhood, and she's the protectress of uh, women in birth, and she protects young children. So uh, there's the midwife aspect of Artemis as well that I resonate with. So whether that's because of the naming at my birth or um, I don't know, but it's something that I hold close to me. Um, I have been on a goddess path for many years, but it wasn't anything that my mother particularly uh, encouraged or knew about or led me to, except perhaps in the na- in my naming, maybe. Was the midwifery call strong for you? Do you, you- would have done nursing yeah so my experience with midwifery um when I uh, when I left school I started out at university I started an um, environmental science and applied biology degree which I didn't complete it was really tough and the um, maths and stats was really hard but I loved the biologies and chemistry and physics and so on so I started doing that degree and didn't continue with that and then left and went nursing. I did my general nurse training um, years ago, back in the 80s, mid-80s, and never really felt myself a nurse, actually. I found it fascinating. It opened my eyes to so many things around the human experience. Um, There's images and and stories and things that I I saw and people that I... um, cared for and things that I learned that stay with me strongly now but I really didn't ever feel myself a nurse. Nursing was a a means to an end. I um, used it to finance a lot of traveling. I traveled a lot. I established a business. I trained as a massage therapist and I um, you know just used my nursing in in different jobs that I always very interesting but didn't feel that, that passion of yes this is my calling you know. Um, until some years later, sort of that was throughout my 20s, um, I was working at the Royal Hospital for Women in Paddington in Sydney and stepping into that organisation was interesting. I saw in the, um, I was working in a, a gynaecological oncology unit and I saw 
what was really continuity of care model for looking after women with gynaecological cancers. It was an extraordinary unit within a really um, a solid institution that um, I saw the healthcare system working well for women and I was curious about that. It ignited my curiosity and, of course, there's all the, uh, the midwifery and, and maternity services offered there. So that's what led me into midwifery um, and I did my midwifery uh, gained that qualification through Sydney Uni and the Royal Hospital for Women. And that's when I found my passion. That's when it was like, yeah. yes, here's, here it is. Here's the thing that uh, sings to my soul, yes, I'm a midwife. And there was that sense of um, this is more than a profession or a job. And, um, yeah, that, that was how I entered into my midwifery career. Do you remember your first birth as a midwife? I don't know whether it's the first, but I certainly remember um, magnificent births and uh, I remember births that challenged me and I remember well, lots of things, but probably not the very, the very first. The very first. What in my um, midwifery experience, what um, really sung to me was the continuity of care, you know, being with women throughout their continuum of you know, antenatal care, care through labour and birth and postnatal care. And at that time um, in Australia, there really wasn't much in the way of continuity models of care happening in this country. It's just starting to start up with the work of Pat Brodie and Nikki Leap. And I finished my midi and um, really wanted to work in that way and was looking to uh, New Zealand or the UK. Um, that's so interesting. Mm. Yeah, it's just really interesting because fast forward, um, how many years ago was that? That was in the late 90s. <clears throat> so that yeah, was about 97, so, 98, yeah. Yeah, so fast forward 10, 20 years. Mm. It's still the same. Mm. <laughs> what we, You know, as a student midwife myself, it's like that's exactly my thought process. I really want to work with continuity on the strength and continuity models. What can we do to do it? I'd love to move to New Zealand. I just don't want to do this. I'm just going to move to New Zealand and be a midwife. Like, you know, mm. that stuff is still coming up. And yeah. um, it goes to show how much uh, there is people like us cycling through these systems that really want better um, better decision processes for women and better, better options, just more options, options, options that meet yeah. their um, their needs for, yeah. you know, the simple thing of where and with whom to birth their baby, the basic mm. human right of that. I think there yeah. are, there's certainly more now than mm. when I was finishing my midwifery. Um, mm. And yeah. was it was it quite, um, was it quite a lot of, um advocacy going on too for that like was were you guys as students all like oh come on we've got to change this and let's yes <laughs> yes there was and stuff? yes yeah. there was that there was the um the dreaming and the desire for something other and um, I remember <clears throat> with two beautiful uh student friends one who I shared a house with um you know dreaming into let's have our freestanding birth center up on the north coast and you know these sort of things were there, but um, <clears throat> it didn't happen that way. And I think something that uh, I see playing out is the um, mm. so it can yeah. be 
one thing to say it's the system uh, that it's too hard or it's annihilating or it's undermining, but on the other side of it, um, you know, we do have as yeah. midwives and, and women and, and community and people um, more power than perhaps we realise. Yeah, exactly, mm. and that's such a good way to look at it too is mm. to not get into that culture of like it's a system, it's a system, and mm. then we get blocked by that. It's what mm. if we can open that up and say, you know, like open another door while looking the other way sort of thing and go, mm. okay, there's always other options and we do have the power. The consumer has the power. The woman has the power. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's where we can sort of navigate all the magic and weave that without getting to uh, that feeling of oppression from these systems. Mm. And, um, what just before we move on back to the drum, mm. <laughs> back again into the time capsule, mm. I would love because I just feel like you're such a beautiful midwife and experienced. What advice would you give to the fellow student midwives that are listening right now um, about going through midwifery? Mm. So, uh, you know, for myself, it's like sometimes it's like I can't do this anymore, and then sometimes you're really into it, and then sometimes you just like get so triggered and troll like mm. you know it brings up things and it's just kind of long yeah road so um, what yeah. um if those uh hitting those walls or those edge sort of uh, personal edge moments I guess um some of the things that I would think could be helpful would be for people for students to remember what is it that called them to midwifery in the first place I think in the midst of this degree this bachelor of midwifery which is such a full-on in Tense three years or more out of someone's life, um, particularly around the middle of it. You know that middle of the second year. It can be like it's difficult to look back and see what one was before, and also difficult to look ahead and see what's to come. So maybe to hold strong to the um, reason for undertaking midwifery. What was the desire? What was the drive to get in there? And look for the parts that um, completely fuel the inner passion and inner fire for the work for midwifery. Um, I would say the simple things of um, absolute self-care. You know, I know it's a, it's bandied around a lot, what is self-care, but I think it's imperative in this um, birth work that we're really well uh, cared for on every level by those around us and from ourselves. So, you know, well-nourished, well-rested, um, take breaks when it's needed, um, yeah, what would be some other things that would be helpful? Um, gather like-minded uh, students or midwives yeah, around around you. Yeah, that there's um, that's yeah. certainly the sense of midwifery community of those who there's a, who you resonate with, or even not, because actually there's a lot to be gained from perhaps the people that one maybe feel un, feels uncomfortable with colleagues or close students. But, um, yeah, the support with each other, and I've seen that through student circles and uh, in all its various forms, that when, um, you know, students come together and, and feel really listened to and well held and can have their stories heard and their experiences around their midwifery uh, education validated and heard, that that's a really restorative and helpful thing. 
Yeah, um, and that's one of the things that you weave in your work too is the student midwife circle and holding space. I've done and, that in the past, yes. I offer yeah, um, a similar course, form yeah. through clinical supervision now. But, um, mm. yeah, in the past with mid- student midwife circles uh, in the workplace where I am now but also like at home birth conference and, and other um, events like that. Yeah, mm. yeah. So just even, you know, at the university, getting people together, holding holding space just to, to de- debrief to, like you said, for everyone to be heard and mm. have that space is just so important mm. Mm. for a lot of people mm. going through journey so just sort of going um back a little and when I did graduate as a midwife and spent a bit of time doing uh, my first graduate um then Randwick um then I did go off to the British Isles to work as a midwife um and that's where yeah I spent four years over there and so that's how I uh fed my passion my need to work in a model of care that wasn't available in this country in Australia at that time. Um, mm, wow, mm. yeah. And so were you doing uh, like continuity stuff over there? Yes, there? I did. That was my yeah. um, purpose to go there and I needed to um, yeah. do some extra study and uh, had an adaptation period through King's College um, Hospital in London and I studied at the college in London as well and met this amazing group of international midwives. We were all studying together to get our UK registration. And that was really extraordinary time spent with them, about six months. And then I worked in a small group practice, a satellite group practice um, <clears throat> funded by the NHS based out of um, in southeast London, offering um, home birth. And also we um, women were directed to our service um, with mental health issues as well. Mm, so that was our mixed practice and just when you asked about do you know do I remember my first birth as a student midwife or as a midwife not quite but I um, remember clearly the first birth of a woman who I knew through caring for her through the group practice and and when she birthed at home her baby and I was there and there was already relationship and um, so I remember that more vividly than perhaps some of the other births that where there wasn't that depth of relationship and, and midwifery oh, yeah. care, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. Yeah. For sure. Beautiful. The maiden in me is going, oh, I'd love to do that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the responsible mother is here though. Mm. So going through your drum. So yes. you made your drum. Uh, mm. So what the experience was like. So that was down. I still have the drum. It's a deer skin frame drum. I have a few drums now, um, but and they they come out to play at different times, uh, and they like to sit together. So <laughs> I have a, a small herd. Um, uh, so that drum um, was down at birth down on James' property in the Southern Highlands at night time. Um, and I really um, enjoyed just being, there was another woman who was sort of making one alongside me, but not really, we weren't doing this together. It was a, um, a singular process, a soul, solo and soul process. Um, I remember before I started, um, as the sun was setting, after I had journeyed, taking a bit of a walk through the property and 
really getting this sense of deer walking beside me, you know. It was just sort of like nuzzling out of the shadows of a tree. And uh, so I began that rapport with deer from that time and really just gave great thanks for the um, new life that was being birthed from this beautiful hide, this beautiful hide of the deer. Um, and I was aware, you know, in um, the Four Seasons journey, we talk uh, we, from the beginning, um, explore our birth imprints. What's the setup from the way one is born and how that might play out in how one does life, uh, and particularly seen through creative processes. And that's what can come to light through a drum making process. Um, and did that have a big aha? moment effect um oh yeah there's there's lot lots of things um were revealed to me and continue to be so whenever i um bring this awareness to any creative process i do even um doll making more recently but what i found myself in making this drum was um, a lot of undoing actually literally as i was stringing the drum and we'd get to a certain way and then you know undo it and start again so an unraveling was occurring within me um and also I got information around um, perfectionism, which was actually through my father's, you know, fairly perfectionist, and that I had a choice around that. Do I continue perfectionism? You know, I, ha I remember having a whole uh, piece of that dropping in around um, is when is near enough good enough, you know, is near enough good enough. And, yeah, lots of things became revealed to me there. Um, alone, being alone is a... Um, theme that I carry through in my life path, which has two aspects to that as well. I quite enjoy understanding or witnessing the duality of uh, aloneness and um, all one, you know, there's this sense uh, of being all one. And I love how you said that. It's come up for me lately too. Yeah. What if you reframed alone to and just one? Yeah. So certainly in making the drum um, and not being part of that um, the initial circle, making it in my own separate way, um, was also part of my imprint um, around my own birth, uh, that there were certainly others there, but there wasn't, um, there was a sense of isolation around that, that um, sometimes serves me very well. And I certainly enjoy that experience of um, time on my own and solitude and being alone and knowing what to do if I actually need to call in help, when to call in help when it's required. There's so many layers to this, you know, that I guess, you know, it was quite a long time ago, but the um, the information carries through, you know, yeah. has informed what I do over these years in different ways. And so for the rest of your year, mm -hmm. um, can you feel into anything that came up that mm. might be worth mm. speaking? So then the first time I met the other, you know, the rest of the women on that Four Seasons journey was up in the Border Rangers National Park on the venue that we then went to for the rest of the gatherings. And I remember um, the misty rains that were often there and being really welcomed into this circle of women um, who I didn't know and yet there was a kinship there, you know. There was already a warmth and a familiarity and I... Um, heard their words of welcome and knew that they were strong and true you know they spoke to my heart and that they they felt for me they understood you know that my mother had passed and um there was a real tenderness and 
you know, a safety around that that was beautiful. It was beautiful. Um, I think, and that wove throughout. There's great bonds of friendship that have continued throughout since those years, since 2011. And in fact, um, Joanna, that's when I met Joanna Dad. She uh, journeyed that Four Seasons journey with me and now, you know, we're co-teaching. We're going to co-teach the Mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey together and there's a real, um, a really beautiful synergy and a lovely energy to that that just feels potent and, and rich and I'm just so excited to be uh, having shared Four Seasons journey together, to be now teaching it together, you know, it just feels great, really alive and aligned. Mm, mm. Lovely. And so, you know, coming out of that, did you, so you're in your midwifery career, um, mm. coming out of sort of that year, did you go straight into apprentice, apprenticing? And no, no, um, no, you know, um, part of what I've learned around this is that, you know, like birth, things take as long as they take. Um, I, you know, that seed had been planted way back at the beginning, you know, teach this um, in my, you know, in my community. And I was very uh, interested in apprenticing and just the ways things sort of fell into place at the time, um, that didn't happen straight away. I did a year mentoring or no, about nine months mentoring program with Jane and that brought to life student midwife support circles. And I also um, actually um, brought my own body of work into being, which really stemmed out of my wilderness solo experience um, that I then evolved um, a year-long course um, called the Women's Spiral of Transformation, which was um, eight gatherings of a closed circle meeting on the Sabbaths. And that was like an intersect of my work um, that had preceded me doing the Four Seasons journey. I, um, in my time in the British Isles, I um, trained as a priestess. I got um, had a very astounding experience um, with goddess in my time in the British Isles. And part of what I learned through my training and through my four years there, I then wove into um, this course that I taught. So to answer your question, did I go straight into apprenticing for the Mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey? Um, no, I did other things and then you know it's just been I guess in the last four years that I began the apprentice journey to teach four and eight seasons journey. So I'm feeling a little curious about your priestess training as well was that mm. intentional when you went over there for those four years or you just picked no, up no. that somehow <laughs> that, you know how things came along. Mm, yeah. That came along. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so, you know, as I've spoken of, it was my desire to work as a midwife and to go travelling um, that took me to the British Isles. I, um, you know, I've always been um, a, a quester or a seeker or had an interest in um, a spiritual path, you know, from girlhood actually, which was deeply nature-based. And I think that's the Artemis nature coming through. I was fortunate enough that I had parents who loved the bush and took us, took my sisters and I out into nature often and I had a great love for, um, for nature and what occurred within my um, body mind when I was in nature spaces and I also had um, you know, an interest I, I 
throughout my 20s, you know, uh, explored Jungian psychology and I was interested in the occult and um, uh, meditation practices and yoga. I did anything I could get my hands onto that spoke to a richer, deeper meaning in life, um, intrigued me and drew me to it. Um, so always educating and informing and experiencing myself in the sacred, but perhaps not really knowing what that was. So my ticket when I left Australia to go and um, end up in the UK was a one-way ticket that was um, went Sydney, Singapore, Kathmandu, and that was it. And it took me about a year to get there and travels all over the place. Um, and when I arrived in the British Isles, um, this thing happened, this strange occurrence happened when I entered into that land and that landscape that I was really unprepared for. And it was like this resonance within my body, um, like my, you know, I was stepping on the land where my ancestors' bones lay buried and I didn't really know it. But this whole, all these, um, it was like, you know, I guess you'd call it maybe a spiritual awakening. My DNA resonated with what, with what was happening within that land. And I had some time where I um, was waiting for registration as a midwife to come through and I was able to take an intuitive journey through the British Isles, which was extraordinary. On my own, very happy to do that as a, an, an alone solitude journey and foot doused my way across the lands and found myself in all sorts of amazing places, holy wells, rugged moors, wild landscapes, wood groves, my dreams changed. I dreamed of dragons and uh, power places. I learnt lots along the way through conversations I had or books that I picked up on random tables, you know, as things do. Uh, you know, soul speak was occurring. It, it was opening before me. Um, and I came face to face with goddess, you know, with the divine feminine, the creative uh, powerful empowering driving force of the sacred feminine as found in nature and within my body and part of my travels took me to Glastonbury Avalon and uh, didn't really know much about that before I arrived but when I arrived you know this great understanding wove through me and I saw a little note a note on a notice board um, with in on a green paper with a little phone number you could tear off down the bottom or copy. And it says, do you have a calling to be a priestess of Avalon? Uh, and a few other words. And every when I read these words, every cell in my body just went, yes, something within this spoke deeply to me that was a soul calling and a homecoming. And that was um, at the beginning of um, when Kathy Jones was, was offering the first um, priestess of Avalon training which now has been going for many, many years. So that would have been in about 1998, something like that. And so I left there and went back to where I was living in London and spent some times in the local woods and I needed to write an essay as to why this was something that I, you know, would want to do. And I remember the, the more that I had to write this essay about what was my calling to train as a priestess, uh, feeling my desire for it even stronger. So I was very um, excited and happy and grateful to be accepted into that training. And what I learned, I still hold um, sacred and dear to me to this day. You know, it informs 
um, who and what I am and what I do. And, um, yeah, then I realised that many people are on a goddess path and, you know, feminism and religion intersect and, you know, I learned so much more. But that was my particular journey into that. Um, and so by the time I came to the School of Shamanic Womancraft, there was already a solid understanding and a lived experience of the, the seasonal wheel of the year and um, a nature-based spirituality and a connection with feminine divine and an understanding of what it means to make a sacred vow. Um, and what I live now is an intersect of these three worlds, of my world as a midwife, um, my world as a priestess, and my world through shamanic womancraft. Um, so that's, yeah, and my life as a woman in Australia. That's a whole other um, layer of work and, and interest that I um, am uncovering around what it means to have that deep connection to the British Isles and Nordic lands as well as live in this ancient, sacred, beautiful land of Australia. You are listening to the School of Shamanic Womancraft podcast series with Ayla Myra. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. Did you do the training in one lot or were you going backwards and forwards between? Mm. So um, the first year of the priestess training was over uh, on the Sabbath, so over eight weekends during the year, and I was living in southeast London and I travelled back and forth to Glastonbury um, through the year to do that. And the second year was uh, the same thing. So I was still living in London, working as a midwife, um, and taking that journey, you know, travelling back and forth to attend the training and the courses and, yeah, it was magnificent. Mm. Mm. And did you, uh, like, did you sort of don the priestess role as well, like in terms of um, how you dressed and was it that sort of training or is it just rock up in the room? Um, it was... I don't particularly remember what I wore, wore, but it was a really comprehensive um, experience of learning the old ways, um, gaining uh, education and experience into uh, the mysteries of Avalon, um, journey work. We looked at, you know, the shamanic work, um, learnt uh, ritual and ceremony, um, we learned the the art of priestessing um that uh, you know to be priestess like midwife is to be of service to the community or to other um there was certainly time for ritual and ceremony we part of the first year uh spiral training was around making ceremonial items so robes headdress various items that were used um in ceremony at the end of of the training both the first and second year training it's now now offered as a three-year spiral there's another year training as well which intrigues me greatly to return actually um, in some way to, to complete that third year with Kathy Jones and others 
And I think over the, you know, what that's nearly 10 years or more now, um, you know, it's evolved and changed the way things organically do. Um, and I'm yeah, hugely grateful for all that unfolded during that time. You know, also in that time I conceived my first baby and I learned Aww. of the death of my grandmother and, yeah, yeah my, my son, um, my firstborn boy was a beautiful water birth, home birth in the British Isles, north of London. We moved out of London and moved north a bit. And, um, yeah, his placenta is, is buried there in Chaliswell Gardens. Many <clears throat> magical, incredible things happened for me around um, Chaliswell Gardens in particular, but certainly in all of that landscape. But um, before we left uh, to return back to Australia, um, you know, I'd kept his placenta as one might do, <clears throat> not really quite knowing where to put it or where to, to earth it or plant it living in London or living to the north of London. And it was in the freezer for a couple of years, actually. And when we were coming back to Australia, I thought, actually, I can't take this with me. You know, it needs to stay in this land somewhere. And I um, knew the gardener in Chaliswell Gardens and spoke to him about, you know, could I plant the placenta there? And he was really fine with that. So um, that lays there. His placenta is there in a garden near the wellhead. Um, and there's a whole other story around the significance of that and what that um, was like when we returned as a family um, to visit that place again. Mm. And so we left. Um, I was four, we lived four years over there and um, I returned with the baby and pregnant with my second baby as well. So, yeah. Big, big moments. Oh, it was a big, totally, big time yeah. in the British Isles that I have very fond and strong and um, life-changing memories from. Mm. Yeah, lots of calling in and birthing. And <laughs> yeah, wow, lot, lots of births, lots yeah. of, yeah. <laughs> you know, lots of babies, lots of home birth, uh, lots yeah. of um, I became a mother, I became a priestess, you know, yeah. <laughs> I became a wife, I became yeah. a wife. I, you know, it's a really, yeah, it was very um you know really becoming. significant time in my life of becoming a big becoming yeah. on all levels for me yeah yeah can you just tell me quickly like I know this is a whole nother story mm. Mm. what was it like being a midwife and then having your own baby to reflect on it in that mm. way oh, um wow I think what um by already being a midwife um and having a, a strong um, belief in the um, physiology and, and normalness of birth, uh, that birth is a part of the function of the female body and it works very well. I felt very um, confident in my ability to birth my baby and was very keen for a home birth with him, which I was able to, which I had with a really supportive, a wonderful midwife friend who could come up from London and, and be with me. Um, through that, so much happened during particularly the birth of my first boy. Um, what I also found in that was that I really relied on my midwife in the simplest of ways, and that was to remind me of what's not normal here. So there was still a, um, a system of, you know, a medical system, a medical approach to um, to maternity care that I was 
um, involved with, and this came in the form of ultrasound scans. Oh, it's a long sort of story. I don't know if this is the right place to tell it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe on another podcast because um, it's so, not the salient bit. So we'll just cut that bit. What, um, what you asked was how was being a midwife, uh, how did that inform me as a birth-giving mother? Is mm. that it? So yeah. I think it yeah. gave me um, confidence in the ability to birth my baby, a knowledge that birth is um, a normal part of the, uh, the female human body to be able to do. Um, so I was able to let go and relax into, the, um, into what happened with labour and birth um, so that I had an extraordinary experience. It was I entered into non-ordinary states of consciousness, um, incredible things happened. I think because of my knowledge and experience, I was able to relax enough to let go, to surrender to that uh, life-giving force that giving birth can be or is. Um, I remember at one stage during strong labour sort of being almost like out of my body, as sort of an out-of-body experience, sort of looking uh, up from the corner of the room and observing myself in labour and going, wow, you know, this is what women do. Wow, you know, that's strong. You know, it's really, so I had that sort of uh, ability. Probably the other thing that would tie in perhaps with um, my birth imprint that I spoke about earlier that um, <clears throat> became apparent through making a drum was that I had the extraordinary experience of essentially undisturbed labour and very nearly undisturbed birth. I did it on my own. I was even though I was in uh, my, our home, my husband was asleep upstairs and my midwife who came up from London had already been attending a birth, so she was asleep upstairs as well. And I, because of being undisturbed and because of being in my own, comfortably in my own home environment and comfortable in my ability of what was going on with my body and my baby, without fear, I was able to have that extraordinary experience of. Um, undisturbed labour and undisturbed birth, um, which I think is also plays out that imprint of being quite happy to be alone, yeah? And all one. And what being holding that duality of alone and all one then um, facilitates what that opens up within me was, um, yeah, it was such a gift. It was such an incredible gift um, with that. Yeah, it's interesting uh, too to see that like like you said it's always unfolding we can never just go oh I've got that thing that's it mm, that's um, right you know, the, the layers are still coming from your mm. birth and your drum making and how it's all just weaving in and how you're sitting here now talking to me and how we can mm. reflect on that and still stuff can come up it's just beautiful isn't it this these mm. offerings and gifts <laughs> And I think now with even a little more distance and um, the period after the birth was uh, brought the sense of isolation and aloneness. And so it's knowing when um, to call in for um, to end that isolation because I think that's important as women too that um, we, we aren't cut off and isolated and perhaps that's the um, post-birth experience for a lot of women maybe uh, that sense doing it on their own in isolation, which is hard. My family was in Australia. I had some friends in London, but not um, not so many. And 
nothing I think in in terms of being a midwife what shifted once I had a baby was um, before I had a baby all my focus was you know it was very feminist the woman the woman once I had the baby it's like opened up this whole world of baby could that I hadn't really understood as well until I had my own and also um, isolation and sleep deprivation just how sleep deprived a woman might be after you know for days and weeks actually and what that does to the psyche and and the um, emotions and the experience of new motherhood. Um, so speaking yeah. about rites of passages, mm. uh, I'd love mm. to talk about and share with you uh, going through perimenopause or mm. weaving through or yeah, navigating, feeling it. What's what's um, we were talking before um, mm. about your cycles I was wondering if you'd like to share yeah so I'm now in my Margie years and almost stepping uh, so perimenopause but very nearly menopause Um, and I am really um, more than pleased what's the word I think the essential work that um, was a new piece really through this through my work with the School of Shamanic Womancraft was around um, very much honoring my the menstrual cycle um, all the power and inherent wisdom within that. And so I had, I've had many years towards the end of my menstrual experience of really uh, living the wisdom of the cycle every month through my body, as well as the moon cycle and the day cycle and the seasonal cycles, but particularly through the, the menstrual cycle. Um, so years of um, the spiritual practice of menstruation, uh, years of, you know, doing blood prayers and dedicating ovulation and all that work, um, pouring my blood to the earth, dreaming and visioning, taking the rest that I need in my in my moon time, in my blood time, um, has prepared me very well for the experience of perimenopause and menopause. <clears throat> and um, a number of years ago, I started making this beautiful um, string of beads that every time I we had my period every time I bled I'd take still time I'd go into my sacred space I'd do whatever ritual felt like the right thing to do at that time um, and put a place a bead on that string and they're all different you know some are big and showy and some and I can count over all those months this was the time I bled on the full moon this was the time I bled on my 50th birthday this was when I was up in the bush doing this this was um the bleeding time on my when I was on wilderness solo for eight seasons journey you know so I've got all that tracked out and since I've stopped bleeding in the last year pretty much um I've been counting the dark moons and I've been putting a black bead for every dark moon so still really in a physical tangible way honoring the moon cycle um and just noticing what's been happening within my body over the years or the year now and counting still counting the days of my cycle and I was saying to you I've just passed 12 dark moons I've just placed that 12th black bead on the string of colorful beads and counted up to uh, 356 days in my cycle and part of my experience around this year has been um Probably uh, the first thing I noticed was that I um, really felt the moon 
When I was still having my own menstrual cycle, I'd often bleed in uh, asynchronous to the moon. So I'd bleed under a full moon. And um, when my cycle would flip and change, it would um, be for a good reason. So in these years leading up to the cessation of bleeding, I found that it was more like it was, I, I got that sense of the wise blood. You know, they talk about holding the wise blood within, that when my blood time was um, irregular, it was always at a deeply significant and meaningful time, which <clears throat> was um, an invitation for me to get another piece of wisdom, you know, out of that. Um, so in the last 12 months, um, I've noticed a really connecting more strongly with the moon and riding that cycle instead of my own body. I've noticed a sense of being more... Um, connected to shamanic realms more like in that um, open state like it's on all the time it's easy access it's easy access to altered states that perhaps wasn't there when I was cycling and there's a level a calming sort of effect is what I felt there's also been a really strong invitation to um, look after myself very well look after my physical body with um, well supported by um, nourishing herbs wholesome foods yeah, it's the basic simple things, yin practices, um, yoga, exercise, time immersed in nature. I make that a part of my daily practice to immerse myself in nature and often in the water. Um, Just tell me, going back to like nutrition and your body responses, which I'm intrigued mm. in, and I remember what you said, maybe you can remember at a gathering once you said something really beautiful about the hot flushes. Um, <clears throat> yeah. What's, what's it like navigating those responses to your body when so we're think, in this society? To- <clears throat> mm. So I think this is part of what is hidden. You know, so many aspects of the embodied experience of womanhood are hidden or shamed or ridiculed or sexualized. And menopause is just another one of those. Um, and part of what I think as a culture we might hear about menopause is, you know, it's horrific. It's, uh, yeah, these hot flushes are terrible. That, um, you know, vaginal dryness. All these things happen. They may happen. They haven't all happened to me yet. And my experience has been different. And maybe like the experience of monarch and menstruation and birth that, there's such a variety, you know, we're unique as women and we all find our own unique experience of this. And so my uh, experience of menstruation and childbirth has not been horrific. It's been incredible and ecstatic and amazing. And I think it's set me up well for menopause. So in terms of talking about hot flushes, which we hear so much about, I have experienced them with pure delight, absolute I love it. I love what I get happening through my body, which is, to me, it feels more like a blush. I feel this energy and this heat just rising up through my body. Um, And it's beautiful. And it is a pause. It causes me to pause and take a moment and notice, um, you know, what was I thinking or saying or doing just before that happened, which is then another piece of information for me to thread back to something I might like to contemplate or learn about myself or what's going on around me. Um, Also, I I tend to be fairly cold in my body. So to receive um, 
my own self-generated heat is like a real gift and blessing. It's beautiful. I love that at night I can throw off a couple of blankets and just lie there basking in this warmth that's surging through my body. Um, yeah, that's that's my experience. I know I work with women. It's, I know it's not every woman's experience, um, just like birth is not the same for every woman. But uh, I like that I carry a little fan with me and I can pop that out and, and I play with I think it's the sense of play, Ayla. It's the sense of fun and play that can be had about this. And I also have this sense of absolute wonder, very maiden-like, you know. So Marga sits opposite maiden and I have that maiden-like sense of, um, oh, what's coming next? You know, this is um, Dr. Christiane Northrup calls this the mother of all wake-up calls anything that hasn't been addressed you know through the menstruating and childbearing years comes up to be seen now at menopause so I know I'm going through a very um, physical spiritual emotional um, massive rite of passage and change <clears throat> and all the um, you know power and beauty and uh, uncertainty that that can hold I know I'm, I'm changing and I'm not sure what's on the other side and uh, I hold no fear of that I just welcome welcome that while I'm going through this process um, did you have a grief process early on yeah I think um, <clears throat> yes there's so much as you know everything comes up part of my experience has been that everything comes up to be re-examined again and definitely grief rage uh, anger um, I think partly it's a grief for the things that may never be again. It's not just around the loss of fertility. That wasn't such a big part for me, I'm probably because I have had babies and, you know, that that really wasn't part of it. But, the, but grief around other things, things that perhaps may have been my on a, a part of my life path that perhaps will not be again. Um, the grief of losing parents, you know, um, I think feeling everything as deeply as it needs to be felt for me is part of the the work of these years these this menopause perimenopausal year as um every it feels like everything that is coming towards me everything that's in in front of me is shamanic in nature so i'm experiencing it in um in two ways you know there's the like the, the hard world the 3d world and the shamanic equivalent of it occurring through me at the same time it's a numinous sort of experience and um i was wondering whether to share or not but i think given that i'm talking about what happens with menopause and perimenopause so this february dark moon i, I put my 12th black bead on my string of beads and wondered you know when when will, will i bleed again or won't i well, um, in my mind, getting to 13 dark moons is is going to be it, you know. And since dark moon, my body has been really trying hard to menstruate again. And bit of spotting, bit of bleeding, feeling all that familiar, um, like the irritation within myself and, and unsettledness. And in fact, um, today on day one, right, I'm, I'm actually having... Having, I'm menstruating today doing this podcast with you and I just look at it and sort of there's a bit of me going no I've got to start counting again you know I've got to start counting another 
300 and, you know, another 13 dark moons. So I'm just sitting in that the last couple of days thinking, am I really going to count this as a period, <laughs> a 300, you know, 56-day yeah. period? And I think I have to. Mm. So whatever that means, I don't know. It, it amuses me. Um, it delights me. And I, I think I'm offered another opportunity today with this blood to really release anything from the last year that finally wants to be released. You know, I, I get another opportunity uh, for the magic of the menstrual shedding. You know, I can, um, yeah. It's, yeah. it's extraordinary and perhaps not, you know, I've, I've prepared myself well, I've read wide, widely in terms of what's coming up through menopause and perimenopause. Um, I've looked to women who've gone before me. I have that um, interest in seeing that women in their MAGA years and beyond, how they've navigated their own rites of passage. So I feel like I'm really well grounded and well informed and um, now and I'm just having my own lived experience of that. Um, and take as it, as it comes and this is what it's giving me actually Beautiful. Mm. before we move to talking about the 4SJ what would be the one resource or something you could offer to people getting into <clears throat> mm. through menopause um, well I think I don't think I can say one resource I think having a really good understanding and grounding of the wisdom of the cycles so learning about that um, would, is a great way to begin the approach to, um, you know, menopause. To have done the healing work about one's own rites of passage, of being born, of monarch, of their experiences through menstruation, through birth giving if they've had babies or the mothering aspect and birth giving of um non-human births, non-human babies, so like um, businesses or creative projects or raising animals. So uh, in preparation for what's going on in perimenopause, I can't really speak from the other side of it yet, but, um, yeah, a really good grounding of the wisdom of the cycles, a good understanding of the patterns, themes and threads that might show up through previous rites of passages. Um, I really love the work of Christiane Northrup, um, uh, Women's Bodies with Women's Wisdom and the Wisdom of the Menopause. It's such a great book um, that has it approaches quite holistically. Um, those that would be a good resource. I would say doing the Four Seasons Journey would be a really great way to approach. Um, and be prepared for all rites of passage, but particularly also for uh, for menopause. Mm, definitely. And mm. there's an autumn, autumn woman harvest. That's queen. it. Yes. So, yeah, workshop. doing uh, yeah, moon song workshop and autumn, autumn woman harvest queen. Uh, mm. Just reading widely. And actually what I would say is um, trusting one's intuition you know that if there's so many books out there there's so so many resources and they'll all speak slightly differently to different women and um just to you know i think it's a fairly instinctive intuitive journey state that well that's how i'm experiencing it and to trust that whatever uh, if, if the book 
feels right, then that's a good fit and it probably holds some useful information. Um, it's just like birth, isn't it? Like um, yeah. use your discernment, talk to the people, take what you need, leave the rest, mm. read books, take what you need. Yeah, but go yeah. back to the intuition and what feels... Yeah, and probably talk with other women, sit in in wise women's circles, you know, sit in MAGA circles uh, and hear and and listen to the women who've gone before. Mm. Yeah, very important. Mm. So Four Seasons Journey in May this year, 2019, mid-North Coast. Mm. Tell me about this birth. Mm. Wow, it feels like it's been a long time coming I'm very excited to be offering this in uh, to the women in this community but also beyond you know I think um, perhaps the timing feels right for other women from other areas to be drawn to this land and and this work Um, like I said before co-teaching with Joanna Um, and I I think maybe in in terms of saying, you know, it it took as long as it took, the seed was planted a long time ago and it's coming to fruition now, is I think partly that I I needed to be um, ready in my inner world as well as my outer world, that somehow this is tied in with that experience of perimenopause and entering as a a maga woman um, that's lived well and gained wisdom through, you know, these long years of doing this work. Okay, so um, the land where the Mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey will be held on, uh, it's Birupai land, and I really felt like um, I was connecting in and, and calling up the land for a while when the decision was made, uh, you know, when I was completing my apprentice program uh, through both Eight Seasons and Four Seasons journey. I was actually on a wilderness solo apprenticing base camp after all the women had left. This was from a previous Four Seasons journey. And um, along with Joanna and Jane and others, we're up on the mountain top where wilderness solo was held and um, just in a fire ritual, doing ritual around the fire and, and calling up what was to come next. And I was really feeling very connected into the earth there and, and by the fire. Um, creating the, the ritual and the energy around calling where does the, what land wants this, you know, where, where are the women being called to and holding the earth in my hands. And I left that mountaintop and it's not far from here. It's also Birupai land and took this down into the ocean where I live as well. So this connection with the mountain and the ocean. And it wasn't long after that where I took that call within my heart through the earth and the ocean of, um, where should Mid-North Coast Four Seasons Journey be held? And I became aware of a property called Buyong, Buyong Conservation. And that's beautiful land, uh, held and caretaken very well by a family. And uh, they're really um, welcoming for the work that we'll be bringing in, into the property that they caretake at Buyong. Um, there's 85 acres of land and it's um, rainforest in nature, some of it's uh, rainforest, some of it's higher and drier, sclerophyll uh, sort of bush. There's a couple of creeks that run through. There's a beautiful, um, lovely cleared area for that's great for camping and a very well cared for cabin, you know, where it would be um, holding circle and um, cooking and um, it's a fantastic hot outdoor shower 
it's just a beautiful, beautiful place that's been really well cared for and well looked after. And it has a very um, special energy about it, um, very soft, actually. Um, I've been there and you, you were there too, Ayla, for the um, Eight Seasons Journey Wilderness Solo Experience. And in a small space, 85 acres, there's such a diversity of landscape and vegetation and some really great energies there. Mm, it so, is beautiful, mm, soft, warm, willing mm, to be their space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very welcoming on all levels. Yeah, yeah. So that's the place we'll be holding the gatherings and we'll begin with an opening gathering. All the gatherings um, are two nights in three days, except for the Wilderness Solo is a bit of a longer experience. That's about nine or ten days, depending on how many women will be there. Um, in the opening gathering, we begin with um, uh, making the drum and understanding our birth imprint and um, having a stepping into this world of shamanic woman craft, you know, learning what this is all about, having a deeper sense of the wisdom of the cycles and understanding our individual place in that. I, I feel it's a deep personal journey uh, an individual journey made stronger and richer through sharing it with others and then we have a um, it's all in one year then there's a full moon gathering uh, where women connect with a power animal and have the opportunity to really um, understand the medicine uh, the wisdom that the power animal may, animal may bring to inform them around any uh, areas of wounding their sacred wound which also reveals the healing gift that that carries. So I have a beautiful full moon gathering and then that leads into a dark moon gathering uh, where we enact and reenact a very ancient journey of descent and return. And then the wilderness solo experience, which, um, you know, is such, to me, such a pivotal and important part of the whole Four Seasons journey. <clears throat> Each um, gathering builds on the next, I think, in uh, leading up to that wilderness solo experience, which is, gosh, it was probably my favourite part through my own Four Seasons journey. I think it's such a gift to be able to spend time yeah, alone in nature, so a well-held, well-supported base camp, which um, allows women to safely step out into nature to whatever level they, they feel their edge is, you know, as far as they choose to go and have three days um, of soul crafting in nature, silent, alone, but never really alone, able to come face to face with their inner world and see themselves as the force of nature that they are. It's such an incredible experience that we don't often get an opportunity to do in life. And, and then a reintegration, you know, so there's a preparation, a separation, a transformation and a reintegration. And then we gather after that about a, another moon cycle after that to debrief that experience and then um, a magnificent closing gathering where the whole year journey uh, comes together and all sorts of extraordinary things come out of that. Women have uh, new versions of themselves or the, the next step on their life path or perhaps even just a strong inner confirmation of the path that they're already already on 
um, or some women come out with a, a, um, a great social activism to want to create change in, in the world that we're living in for the betterment of all. You know, I've been journeying, with, I've been with this for, for years now and have seen such extraordinary things occur from this Four Seasons journey, which I think is what um, has me so um, dedicated and invested to offering this to other women because I see the benefit. So that in a nutshell is, um, you know, the Four Seasons journey. And um, I think I've also <clears throat> had um, part of my training, my apprenticeship training involved uh, going, um, apprenticing to Tulula through two eight seasons journeys. So over an even more extended spacious period of time. And I learned so many things, so many things that I'll bring to the four seasons journey. And part of it that I realized is that uh, by apprenticing with Tulula, how well um, the work and, and the content and the program, um, how it stands, how, how the, uh, the structure of that, the bones of the work are really, um, really strong and solid and that it's able to be taught by others and that they bring their own particular flavour or their own particular experience or essence or energy to that, um, which is why there can be you know, it's quite a number of teachers of four and seasons journey now taking this across the world um, and the program has the, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, the bones, the content stands sure um, no matter who's, who's teaching it, I believe. So I think Joanna and I will, you know, offer what we offer and bring our own uh, value to the work and greatly looking forward to doing it. Oh, sounds amazing. <laughs> I feel like I'd love to go live it all again. Yeah, come and join us. Come and dive deep again. <laughs> so on that Thank note, um, yep. we are also welcoming apprentices, you know, current uh, mermaids, women who've already you know, been through the, the four seasons journey process or eight seasons journey um, can come and, and do that again for, um, you know, whatever reason. Some people apprentice to learn to teach this or they apprentice just to have another, to step more deeply into the work, another spin of, of the wheel of the year again um, to get the next layer, the next level and see how that informs their life journey. You know? yeah, there's always layers. Mm, there's always layers so there is um yeah apprenticeship opportunities as well cool. mm. judy thank you so much for mm. sharing your time and wisdom and all your weavings of life into what you're doing now and um, so much gratitude so thank you for being on the mm. podcast oh thank you for inviting me and, and taking the time to sit and talk with me it's been lovely just to speak a little of of what i've done and what i've offered and Thank you for the space to do that. Mm. And so if you went to the schoolofshamanic.com, schoolofshamanicwomancraftsorry.com website, you'll be able to find out about the mid-North Coast Four Seasons journey in May 2019. Mm. <laughs> and oh, what's your, um, just a shout-out for your Artemis Rising, do you mm. have a, a Facebook or an Instagram? Um, so... I have a Facebook page, Artemis Rising, um, where I put up, you know, I hold various workshops and 
um, circles and gatherings for women in my community here. So people can go and have a look at that, Artemis Rising. Uh, yeah, that would be the best notes. way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That would be the best way. Thank you. For more information on today's inner review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. We are all in this together.